This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. One of the big appeals of the AMC TV series Mad Men is the fact that the show, which is set in an ad agency in the early 1960s, is so relentlessly unpolitically correct. There's the drinking, the smoking, and the unapologetic extramarital affairs. And sometimes the characters have conversations like this one between Secretary Peggy and office manager Joan. Why is it that every time a man takes you out to lunch around here, you're, you're the dessert? That's terrible. It's constant from every corner. Why can't they just leave it alone? Because men always bother you all the time. They follow you down the street. Well, not exactly. Look, dear, I don't know you that well. But you're the new girl, and you're not much, so you might as well enjoy it while it lasts. If you're like me, you felt a little uncomfortable even just hearing that exchange. And if you were to watch a few episodes of Mad Men, you'd likely be glad that the kind of butt-patting, condescending, and secretary-harassing behavior you see on that show is not the norm anymore. In fact, in this past year, we've come close to having a woman president or vice president. We here in the U.S. have a woman secretary of state, eight governors who are women, and a woman speaker of the House. Seems like we women are doing pretty well for ourselves. But, hey, what's this? In May of last year, the Supreme Court ruled that a woman who'd been paid less than any of her male colleagues didn't have the right to even sue for discrimination. And women are still far less than proportionately represented in the ranks of upper management in both the for-profit and not-for-profit sectors. Well, that does seem to throw a wrench in things. Today on Fordham Conversations, we are talking about the ever-rising but seemingly still present glass ceiling. My guest on the show today is Fordham Professor of Social Service, Rosalind Cherneski. For the last 30-odd years, Cherneski's been tracking women in management, who's getting ahead, who's not, and why. We spoke early this week in our studios about what she's found, how things have changed since the early 70s, and why being seen to manage like a girl might cause you even more grief than being seen to throw like one. Rosalind Cherneski, welcome. Thank you. So you started looking at issues of women in management in the 70s. Give me an idea of what things were like then. Well, my first concern was that I was having students in my class who were uh, women, and they were studying to be managers. And they were graduating and finding they were having a hard time getting positions. And when they got positions, when they got back to me years later, they hadn't moved up. And this was not the case with our male graduates. So I had that personal feeling that I was training my students. I knew they were competent, and they weren't able to live up to their potential. But it was at the same time that this was a concern much, much wider in the women's movement. It really hit um, our profession, uh, social work profession, which is predominantly female, was facing this also, which made it even more gross that there were so few women in upper levels. But the women's movement really focused on this, and the popular literature did, such as, you know, women should dress right, should speak right, should do all sorts of things so that they could move up. So that was the background that I was immersed in when I started to try and figure out what was going on. So you're in the situation where all of the, you know, magazines and things are focusing on what women themselves can do to improve their chances of moving up to management positions. But you're finding that even these women who you have trained, Mm -hmm. who you feel are quite competent Mm -hmm. and have done all those things, that they're not moving up. Exactly. 
And not only I found that, but it was being found in the research also. What was being said was they just didn't have the right stuff, or they really weren't that ambitious, or maybe they were ambivalent. It was always something the matter with the women, and it was not related to their competencies or their skills. And so, yes, that's what was going on in the early 70s. Back then, how many women could you say were in management compared to how many are today? Well, there were very few then, but there are still very few in top management positions. Um, That's the executive level, okay? And that's where we talk about the glass ceiling. But something else happened that was very interesting from 70s till now. There are indeed more women in the workforce, and there are more women managers, but they're at entry-level positions. So in some ways, if one were just to count and start off and say, well, in all management, are there more women? You sort of would have to say, yeah, they probably are. But it's what happens when they enter and they don't go up. What did you find was the problem? You, you thought, you know, it's not these women. It's not their fault. What's going on? Well, something happens to women. When they go into the organizations, there are certain processes and dynamics that take place, and they're not even deliberate. It's not even that we could say, oh, everybody's discriminating deliberately to keep women out of management. We're talking about things that occur, and they occur because there's such a stereotype about what a good, effective, competent leader should be like, what their skills are, how they should behave. And that stereotype is typical of a male. So what what kinds of things? Tell me what sorts of things were seen oh, as being effective. They can be assertive. They can be strong. They can take command. We call the command and control approach where no one questions. They know what's right. Everybody follows. They aren't uh, taken in by the uh, softness of women and their problems. They are very task-oriented. It's an image of leadership that, by the way, is really not even effective leadership we know today. But for a woman, she didn't fit that stereotype. And when she tried, she was not appreciated. Women didn't want to work with them, and men sure didn't want to work for them. So we had that stereotype that permeates And so for a woman to show that she really has the right stuff, she's got to try harder, but she can try so hard as to threaten the others. She has to be able to um, look right, but she can't be too feminine, can't be wearing very, very masculine pantsuits. You know what? It's like a no-win situation. So in the organizations, in the processes of what happens, women experience things differently. Things happen to them, nobody's fault, that then confirms to everyone who's watching, see, we knew she couldn't be a good executive. So you sort of if you watch TV shows or whatever that are set in the 70s or the 50s, mm. you see sort of casual sexism going on that you find shocking because it's not the sort of thing you would see today in the workplace. True. Um, 
that kind of culture has changed. But one of the big questions you ask about workplaces today is why haven't we made more progress? What's going on today? The situations that women walk into, the jobs that they get, um, and the dynamics that take place are still the same. Let me just give an example. We have um, one woman, let's say, hired, and she's part of a management team. All of the males. You feel like you're in a fishbowl. You're afraid to take risks. You want to be pleasing. You want to conform. You want to go along. And that is exactly what then is interpreted as, hey, this doesn't show capacity for high-level leadership. This is a person who doesn't take risks and isn't willing to be take the initiative. All right. So the the very process of what happens to people in that kind of situation, and as I said, it doesn't have to be women. It, it often happens to minorities also of all kinds. That then just confirms for them. So you still have the situation. I even remember myself when I was in that situation. And if I did something that was really good, I got looked at and I heard remarks that said, oh, you were lucky. And then when I did it the second time, because I was effective, they would say, mm, I bet she had some help. What happened was I couldn't prove myself. And women are trying to prove themselves. When you are putting all your effort into trying to show that you can do the job and you can be as good as the others, that takes a toll on you. That becomes stressful, and it ends up that you can't put all your energy into doing the job because you're trying always to figure out how am I going to demonstrate that I belong. This all makes sense to me, but it sounds, when you're talking about it, like something that would have happened in the past and something we don't have to worry about anymore. Is that not true? No, it's not true. Okay, give me some context. Uh, that uh, because you still have women who are just breaking in, women who will say that when I sit in a committee and there are men and maybe more than one woman, I sometimes think that I'm not heard. Not only don't they hear what I say, but later on someone else will say the same thing and everyone will say, oh, what a good idea. Well, that's because we always turn to people with higher status. And we assume they're going to be leaders and competent. So when they, in this case, men higher status than women, when men are speaking in a group, people automatically turn to them and expect that's going to be good. Women our lowest status in our society still are. When they speak, they're invisible. They're not heard. They're not validated. Okay? That hasn't changed in 30 years, our notion that men are highest status. It's not because anyone wants to do that. It's the way, way our society is. In fact, most societies are that, that way. That's what makes it so um, worrisome that some of these things are just part of everyday existence and everyday life. And so how can women break out of it? 
You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. We're talking today on the show with Rosalind Cherneski. Cherneski is a professor at Fordham's Graduate School of Social Service, and we're talking today about women in leadership positions in America and why there aren't more. Let's get back to that conversation. I asked Cherneski how it was that she conducted the research that's the basis of her work. You um, ask people to, um, in surveys or interviews, to report on incidents. You present to them scenarios and ask them if they are familiar with it. Have they had that kind of situation? Observations. You see it all the time. I teach even today with um, a lot of groups in my classes. We break up into all sorts of exercises. And I have... Relatively few male students, let's say three three male students and 12 female students. Let's put it at that ratio. And that's because social work is really a female-dominated oh, right. profession. Right. That's right. And I see the dynamics in, right in the class. My bright women students, they act differently in the groups. And when you talk to them about it, they're not even aware of it. So that's what what still goes on. And it wouldn't matter if it were not that each of these kinds of incidents confirms over and over the stereotype, the gender stereotype, that women aren't suitable to be the top-level managers. Tell me what qualities are associated with women in leadership positions that make it seem that they're not suitable or competent for them? This is particularly interesting because what the women's characteristics are, we now know, and this is, of course, what's happened in the last uh, 10 years, is what all managers are supposed to have if they are to be effective, a much more caring, supportive um, leadership style, that tends to um, uh, involve, allow staff to participate in problem-solving and decision-making. It's a shared sense of we are all in this together. It's a kind of way of approaching things that's rather than telling people what to do. It's asking people and then working with them. It's truly a team kind of approach. These were identified as qualities women have way back in the 70s. And we saw that women were, in fact, using some of these approaches. Let me just stop you here and say, just to be clear, um, these aren't qualities that women are felt to inherently have. These are qualities that we're socialized into, and as such, we would use them in the workplace? Yes. I just don't want to say that, you know, women are caring and nurturing and men are hard. (laughs) Right. But the expectation, let's say, um, of women in contrast to men are that they play the caring, supportive role. It's not different than in the families. Okay. Father is out working. Mother is supposedly the one who is much more involved. I know it's a stereotype. I mean, that, how many women are in that position? It, but it's the stereotypes we're dealing with. Okay. So the, uh, but the latest, uh, as I said, in the last 10 years, all the literature points to the need for that kind of leadership style. And we thought, 
wow, finally, women who were doing something that was, let's say, coming natural to them, more natural to them, uh, would now be able to do that in the workplace. For many years, they were withholding, trying to be just like the men and trying to be a lot more commanding. So we thought this was going to open up the doors for women. This was going to be why the glass ceiling would finally break. And you know what? It doesn't matter. And the latest research shows, not my own, but the latest research shows that even if it's being used by men and women, neither gender admits that they are doing it. And the reason for that is, is because, we think, is because men don't want to look like they are like women. That would be, you know, they'd be looked at as wimps if they came across as being so supportive and caring and nurturing. And women don't want to admit they're doing it because that's not, for them, a leadership style. They're afraid that they will be said to, oh, they just do that. They don't have any skill. So it's a no-win situation again. So even though this, uh, this style of management is felt to be more effective, it's one that nobody wants to claim? That's correct. In your work about women in management positions, you identify sort of a few problems that women encounter when they are in management positions. Tell me what sort of if I were if I were a manager, what problems I might run into in the course of my work. There is this interesting situation. We call it the likable competent one. I hate to say that this is the Hillary Clinton um, analogy because I am so fond of her and so supportive of her. But I have seen so many competent women who others will say they just don't like them. Whatever the dynamics are, and I can't even you know explain the processes that go into this, but it doesn't help women to be only competent because they have to be likable also. But it's hard to be both. Women, by the way, men don't have to be likable. Men really have to just be competent. And often when women are competent, they're just considered to be strident. Right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. I had this morning on Cityscape keeping that New Year's resolution about exercising more. That's Cityscape with George Bodarkey this morning at 7.30 on WFUV. We're talking on Fordham Conversations this morning with Fordham Social Service Professor Rosalind Cherneski about the issues facing women in management in America. Let's hear the rest of that conversation. Now, I remember when I was a kid seeing my mom go off to work in her power suit with the... Uh, the bow thing oh, that people used really? to wear in the 80s. And I remember that in the 70s and 80s, a lot of businesses and organizations really made an effort to get different kinds of people, including women, into management positions. But you said that, you know, at the dawn of the 21st century, I guess we're 10 years into it now, but mm. um, it became clear that things were not really getting better for women. What was happening? 
two things. We expected those who women who are entering management positions would be promoted and advanced at, at the same rate as men. By the way, that's called the in the pipeline theory. Uh, it says that all you need to do is bring them in, and they will percolate up. Okay, and that was our expectation. So one thing is that has not happened. Okay. Then what we also expected was that with the um, growth of management positions, and at least in my field alone, which is the social services and the human services, in the 70s and 80s, we had such a proliferation of new organizations. I mean, that was the time in which the social services were at their peak. So there were so many more positions open and available that we actually thought women would be needed. How could you find only and enough men for these positions? So we were sort of on a a high. But every time the statistics were collected, things were not getting better. The top corporate women, number of women, are just about the same 3%. This is across the board higher education, universities, um, social service agencies, the health industry, and corporations and businesses. So although there may be many, many more women who are working Mm -hmm. in these places and who are in positions of administration, the upper management has stayed primarily male. That's right. I think also we could say is that they are the positions that they fill are those that are dead end in terms of moving up. And by that I mean is that there are positions that have no ladders above them. They're not in the mainstream of the work of the agencies. I mean, you never see, I mean, I shouldn't say never, but hardly ever see the director of human resources moving up into an executive position. And so women are being channeled I mean, they're taking the job. It's not that they they don't know it, into jobs with very nice titles, but doesn't help them advance up. So we, we see that because a lot of the growth in management positions, by the way, were middle level, and in these staff positions on the out on the outside. So sometimes they're in titles that won't show them that they are um, in training, let's say, for management positions. You know, in in my field, we have often, in large agencies, assistant directors and associate directors, and then the top-level executive. Well, one would think you start as an assistant, you move to an associate, and then you get to the executive. Those are not the situations because the expectations of an assistant director is to maintain the internal operations of an agency, so to speak, um, but the associate director has his foot out the door helping with fundraising, liaisons, uh, public media, all those other things. So they're two skill sets. And so when the time comes for the need for a new executive de- director, you either take the associate director or you take an associate director from another agency. How have the reasons that women didn't advance changed over time? Well, I think women um, 
in the early 70s were really not as qualified. We didn't have a lot of women going into MBA programs, into administration programs, either uh, for their degrees or afterwards. Um, so one would expect them to have a harder time. They needed more on-the-job training. That's not true today. Women are filling up all those classes, and they are coming out competent and ready to move into it. Second thing is, is I think the 70s, when we look back, it was a time when women were really um, concerned about having families. I'm not saying they're not concerned now, but the the view of how you relate your job to your family is a bit different. Um, at that time, I think that there was a sense that maybe I should have my family first, which meant that women were coming in a little later into the market, and that probably precluded them being able to move as rapidly. It also raised questions constantly on whether they were truly committed and whether they had what it took to stay out late at night, do my field fundraising events all over. Um, there was always looking at a woman and saying, can we count that you're going to be an organizational, um, loyal person? That's not true nowadays. People do not expect even men not to be caring about their families. Organizational loyalty is no longer the same. So that things are a little bit different now. Women should be better for the job market. They should be able to be looked upon as, we, they have an asset, we need them now. We should take them. And I think that is a change, by the way. I think that's one of the reasons why there are probably more women are in, in the management positions. Let me ask you a couple more questions about what's going on now with your students. You have young women who you are teaching, um, training to be in management positions. Do they anticipate that they're going to have these sorts of problems? I'm not sure they anticipated it before they started. <laughs> I think by the time they are finished, they are more aware of it. Um, we don't want to discourage them. But uh, one of the things I do say to my students, and it's sort of like we lead up to it as we they get ready for graduation, and that is competency is not enough. Okay? One has to um, develop networks to open doors for you and to help you when you get into your organizations to show you some of the ways of how the culture is. Um, we help them think about what they can do to maximize their chances, such as looking at those job titles and looking at whether the jobs that they are getting are going to have with them the authority and resources to get the job done. That's a sort of another thing that I guess we didn't mention is that you can be in a job with a very nice title, and maybe it'll have a management ladder, so that's okay. It's not dead end. But you can't do what you have to do because you haven't been given the right to hire or fire, um, maybe not even to control your own budget. And so what's happening is you can't 
demonstrate your capacity for doing well. And in fact, what you have to end up doing is always going to the one above you saying, I need this, I need that, I can't do this. You end up being looked upon as though you're begging. So what we do is we try to help women see when they graduate what ways they might be able to negotiate or manipulate the system so it works better for them. So just just as a final thought, what do you think needs to happen? I think what needs to happen is that there really has to be an appreciation for what women can offer and how that can complement what men have to offer. And I'm talking mostly management positions now. In other words, it's not a matter of um, competing with one another. Um, There are enough positions there. But somehow an understanding of the potential that women can bring, I think that would be the the main thing. Rosalind Cherneski is a professor at Fordham's Graduate School of Social Service. Rosalind, thanks so much. Thank you. From WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us at FordhamConversations at WFUV.org. We would, of course, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at WFUV.org. It's also available in our audio archive, which you can also find on our website. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thank you for listening, and have a fabulous weekend. I'll save my thank yous till you correct that correspondence. This is WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org.